0: honor and glorify the Lord through praise and worship to lead us into God's presence through praise and worship and I'm so very thankful for that. I like singing about the blood. I like singing about the cross for our power is found in the cross and our power is found in the blood. I remember reading a story one time about Billy Graham. Billy Graham had just started uh, preaching and he was going all over the country evangelizing the lost and he had went to a meeting in Chicago, and he had preached there for two or three days. He was preaching a week-long service, and so on about the third day, one of the local uh, professors from a university came and spoke to Billy Graham, and after the service, the professor looked at him and he said, Dr. Graham, I want you to know that uh, you have a commanding presence in the pulpit. He said, uh, people hear what you say. You have a great speaking voice. He said, everything's working for you, and I think you're probably going to be successful. He said, but if there's one thing I would critique you on, if there's one thing I would want you to do, is not talk so much about the blood. Don't talk so much about the cross. I think your message would be much more appealing to your audience if you left a lot of that stuff out. And Billy Graham looked at the professor and he said, you must understand. If I don't preach about the blood and I don't preach about the cross, then I have no message. And he's right. If we don't preach about the blood and we don't preach about the cross, we don't sing about the blood and we don't sing about the cross, then we preach no message and we certainly sing no message. So I am so thankful that uh, we still preach about the blood, sing about the blood. Sing about the blood or sing about the cross and preach about the cross and that's what we want to do today. John chapter number 13, we're still answering the question as to what Jesus does. If there's one question that we need to answer as the people of God, we need to know what Jesus has done and what he does in our lives. Now, last Sunday morning we began this and we said that first of all, Jesus saves. If you are thankful this morning that Jesus is still in the saving business, say amen. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1 in verse number 18, one of my favorite verses in all the Word of God, God is speaking there to the nation of Israel, and He said, come, let us reason together. I love that. He said, come let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be washed whiter than snow. Now there's two things that absolutely blow me away in that verse in Isaiah chapter number 1. First of all, is that the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God of the universe, the God who spoke and the universe came into existence, is willing to reason with mere mortals. The, the infinite is re- willing to reason with the finite. Listen, God who is big and God who is mighty, God who is amazing in all his works, is willing to reason with me and with you, with mere mortals, with everyday people. Now God don't have to do that, but because he loves us, he has shown us grace and mercy, and he says to his people in Isaiah 1.18, let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, they can be washed whiter than snow. How many of you know the blood that we sang about this morning was shed for you? And the blood that we sing about this morning was shed for me. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 9 that Jesus tasted death for every man. So if you are here this morning, Jesus died for your sins. He took your punishment. And by the grace of God, you can be saved. This morning, I am thankful that Jesus still saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. If there's a message that I have to preach with my last dying breath, it is that Jesus saves, for that message changes eternity. Jesus saves, but now listen what else does Jesus do? He saves us, but Jesus also sanctifies us. Have you ever heard someone say Jesus loves you right where you are? You know what? That's the truth. I don't care who you are, I don't care where you are, I don't care what you've done. I don't care about it. Listen, no matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, Jesus loves you right where you are, just like you are. And he can save you right where you are, just like you are. You say, oh, Brother Israel, I don't know about that. You just don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. Well, let me tell you something. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. If God didn't save me, he didn't save anybody. But listen to me now. Even though God loves you right where you are and he can save you right where you, where you are, you need to understand he loves you too much to leave you like you are. After he has saved us by grace through faith, after we've received this free gift of salvation, he starts the process of sanctification. Now what does it mean to be sanctified? Well, to be sanctified means that we are cleaned up and set apart for the purpose of God. Amen. God begins that process at the moment of conversion. See, when you get saved, when you place your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, at that more moment, you are born into God's family. And, and at that moment, God begins that process of sanctification. First of all, you are positionally sanctified, set apart for the purpose of God. Now, what do I mean by that? You Your position changes when you trust in Jesus. You go from being outside of Christ to being in Christ. Can you say amen? You go from being in the dark to being brought into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus. You go from being dead in trespasses and sins to receiving eternal life in Christ. You go from being outside of God's family to being born again into God's family. You go from being outside the kingdom to now being in the kingdom. All of that happens when you get saved. So your position changes. That happens at conversion. But how many of you know practical sanctification happens each and every day? where God is in the continual process of cleaning us up, setting us apart so that we might be used for the purpose of God. How many of you know we all a work in progress? I don't care if you've been saved for four minutes, four years, or forty years, we're all a work in progress. Each and every one of us. I was preaching a message yesterday at the funeral home and after the service a gentleman came up to me and he said I want you to know that I believe if we would always put ourselves in the message I want you to know that if we would show the compassion of Christ and tell people that God's mercy is available for them that everybody would be more receptive to the gospel. And I said aloud, amen. He's exactly right. That's what we need to do because folks we are all still a work in progress. I need God's mercy today. You need God's mercy today. I need God's grace today. You need God's grace today. And the good news, it's available for us all. That's the good news. But now listen. There should be a growing process happening in me as a believer. I want to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today. And I want to be more like Jesus next year than I am this year. And as long as God gives me breath in my lungs, I want to become more like Christ. And the process by which that happens is the practical sanctification that we go through each and every day. How does that work? Jesus said it like this. When praying for the church, he said, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. How important is it that you're under the preaching and teaching the word of God? It's of vital importance. Because as you're under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, you are becoming sanctified by the truth of the Word of God. You get a hold of God's truth and you apply that to your life. And as you apply that to your life, then you're becoming more and more and more like Christ. I mean, I would be in a service like this and the preacher would be preaching on loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And God, the Holy Spirit, will start convicting my heart. Let me know I need to start loving people better than I love people. Can you say amen? He begins that work of sanctification. Clean me up, set me apart so that I might be used. I can be in a service like this and the preacher be preaching on, hey, uh, loving your wife as Christ loved the church and the Holy Spirit of God. I convict my heart, so you need to be loving your wife better. I I can be in a service like this or in Sunday school and we can see where the Bible says we have been given the power of God so that we might become witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth and the Holy Spirit of God. I convict my heart and let me know I need to be a better witness. I need to take advantage of the opportunities God gives me and the doors that God opens as I... Walk through them spiritually bold and preach the gospel. Do you see how that works? It's a practical sanctification that happens daily through the cleansing of the word of God. As we hear the word and heed the word, we hear it with our ears, we heed it with our lives. We apply it to ourselves. You know what, I love preaching the word of God. I'd rather preach than eat when I was hungry. I enjoy it. I know it's what God's called me to, but let me say something to you. When I get done here in this morning, preaching this message, the easy part's over with. I love to talk about it, preach about it, sing about it, pray about it, discuss it. I love that. You want somebody to discuss scripture with you, man? Let's talk about it. I love talking about it. Me and a dear brother this week, he... uh, um, sent me a text message on a doctrine of Scripture, and we had had a good time, didn't we, brother, just discussing who God is and what He's done. I love that stuff. But now listen to me. It's good to learn it. It's good to talk about it. It's good to preach it and pray it and see. It's good to do all that. But listen, if we don't live it, then it's not really going to matter what we preach, what we pray, what we sing and what we learn. We hear it and we heed it. Practical sanctification every day. I've heard it said that the true test of a godly church, of a growing church, of a church that God can use is not how many people go to that church, but how many lives are changed when they leave that church. I don't know about you, I want to be different when I leave here than when I came. I want God to get a hold of me, show up and show out in my life, work on me, work in me, and work through me for his honor and his glory. Jesus saves, can you say amen? Jesus sanctifies, can you say me Amen. He cleans us up. He sets us apart. Now, let me just say one more thing before I go any further. Do you know that it's not my job to sanctify? You know it's not your job to sanctify? He does the sanctifying through the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Now, we can be instruments in that process, and I want to be, but it's not my job to clean nobody up. Like I said last Sunday night, praise God, we are called to be fishers of men. We'll catch them. Let's let God clean them. And however God wants to clean them up and use them, let God do that. And if God wants to use them just like they are, let God do that. He's God. Amen. I get so sick of this judgmental, higher than thou, holier than thou attitude that a lot of people have. Folks, we all need Jesus. Jesus is available for all. Let God do the work that God does and let us do the work he's called us to do and not get the two mixed up. Jesus saves, Jesus sanctifies. Let me give you one more. Jesus enables us to serve. Amen. i want to make one statement to you about servanthood that I want you to really get a hold of this morning. Serving the Lord is not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. Sometimes I think we view serving the Lord as something that we have to be a part of and becomes more of a burden than a blessing. It becomes more of an obligation than it does God working in you so much so that His life is pressed out through you into the lives of others. And I'm not saying serving's always easy because it's not. But I am saying it's worth it. It means something. What you do for the kingdom of God will echo throughout all eternity. Like I said before, how we serve the Lord in sharing the gospel can change people's eternity. That's amazing. I can't think of anything more important than your service to the Lord. How about you? Than my service to the Lord. So serving is not something we have to do. It's something that we get to do. We lose sight of that sometimes. I remember one time I was at work one day, and there was a gentleman I worked with who had Alabama season football, t- football tickets for the season, and, uh, and he called me up at about 8 o'clock in the morning. He, he said, man, I want you to go to the ball game with me. And I said, uh, sure, I'll go to the ball game with you. Man, I'd love to. I think I was playing Georgia in Tuscaloosa. So I, could, I was biting at the bit to go to that ball game. And I was fired up when he first asked me. Man, I could not wait. About 9.30 or 10 o'clock, I got a call from a brother who had asked me weeks earlier to preach at a men's conference that Saturday night. And I realized that I was not going to be able to make a 6 o'clock kickoff in Tuscaloosa and preach in Mississippi at the same time. And I called my brother back up and wanted to ask me to go to the football game. And this is what I said. I said, listen here, man. I'm glad you asked me and and I would love to go. But I have to preach Saturday night. I'm not going to be able to go Saturday morning with you to the ballgame. We got off the phone. He said, man, don't worry about it. We'll do it again later. And the Holy Spirit of God spoke to my heart. And I heard it just as clear. I've never heard God speak in an audible voice, but it's been louder a few times than an audible voice. Deep down in my soul, it's just like God said, "You you don't have to do nothing. God does not need me. And God does not need you. But we get to be a part of what God does. Isn't that amazing? I was listening to a man by the name of Cliff Sims. Some of you may know Cliff Sims. He was a White House staffer for President Trump a few years ago. And he was speaking on the radio this week, and he was talking about how much of an honor it was for him to serve in the White House. And now, folks, don't you to know? I'm not trying to get political, and I'm not trying to say any one president's better than another. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just saying, for that man, it was a great honor to be able to serve his country in the White House under the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And he was talking about how how he loved it and how that. You know, it was a great blessing for him. And I began thinking about that. You know, if, if the president, no matter who he was, if they called me up and said, man, I want you to come help me in the," I guess what? I'd go. How about you? That'd be an honor for me. I don't care who it is. Because I realize the power and authority that that man has. And if I get to be a part of that where I can really make a difference, well, praise God, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. And then I got to thinking about who we get to serve. What we get to do for the Lord. Do you know that President Trump or whoever the president is only has a limited amount of authority? The God we serve is the God of all creation. The Bible says that the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. That the fullness of the earth is His and all that dwells in it. God holds supreme authority. He has all the power to do what's necessary. And if I get to be a part of working with Him, working for Him, serving God by serving people and really make a difference that can impact eternity, I'm in for that. Count me in. That's what I really means. Jesus taught us what servanthood looks like right here in John chapter 13. He says in these first five verses, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God and went to God. He riseth from supper and put, laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And after he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel wherewith he was girded. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Show it to us this morning. Allow us to see what you want us to see, what we need to see. You know us better than we know ourselves, and so speak to our hearts today. By your power we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things I want you to see this morning very quickly. First of all, you need to see the spiritual insight of Jesus. John chapter 13, verse number 1, the Bible says, Jesus knew that his hour was come. It also says there in uh, verse number um, three of the same chapter, watch what he says. Jesus knowing. So, verse number one says Jesus knew his hour come. Verse number three says Jesus knowing. How many of you know Jesus is in the know? He has spiritual insight like no one else. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God we serve, the one God who has revealed himself in three different personalities has omniscience. He has all knowledge of all things. Let me share with you what that means. Take your Bibles, leave from John chapter 13, keep your place there, but follow me with, follow with me over to Psalm 139. Watch this right here. Psalm 139, verse number 1. O oh Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. If you believe God knows you this morning, say amen. amen. He knows where you are. He knows what you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows everything about you. He knows you better than you know you. He knows me better than I know me. Listen how he describes it. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Let me tell you what the psalmist is saying. God knows my movement. God knows where I'm going before I know where I'm going. God knows everything about my life. Look at verse 3. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. Now listen to me. Not only do God knows where we're going, He knows our movement, but verse number uh, 3 says He knows our motive. He knows why we do what we do. And folks, I got I to confess to you. I believe one day when we stand before the Lord, we will not just be judged for what we have done after we become children of God, but we certainly will be judged for why we have done what we have done. God knows my movement, but God also knows my motive. He knows why I do what I do. He knows why I preach. He knows why I pray. He knows why I come to church on Sunday. Let me ask you something. Why do you come to church on Sunday? Do you know the only reason That is the right reason for you to be here today is so that you might worship the God of the universe. Your purpose and my purpose is not to impress anybody. We have an audience of one when we come to worship and that one is God the Father. He knows our motive. He knows our movement. Let me give you something else. Verse number four. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou hast known it altogether. He knows our murmurs. He knows what we're going to say before we say it. He knows what we said on the cell phone. He knows what we said in the dark alley. He knows what we said in church. He knows what we say at home. He knows what we say at the workplace. God knows what comes out of your mouth. He knows. Jesus, being God the Son, has great spiritual insight over your life and mine. He knows. He's in the know. Not only do I want you to see the spiritual inside of Jesus, but I also want you to see the sovereignty of Jesus. Look with me back in John chapter 13 again. Watch this right here. Verse number one says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own that were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Isn't that good news? He says he loved his own until the end. No matter what, he loved his own. L- listen to me, child of God. No matter what, he loves you. In good times, he loves you. In bad times, he loves you. At all times, he loves you. The love of God is not determined by how good you are or How bad you are. Do you know that? Do you know that no matter what I do from here on out, God is is never going to love me any less than He loves me right now? Or any more than He loves me right now? We are not loved by God because of our merit. We are loved by God because of His nature. He is love. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to serve Him. That makes me want to live for him. That makes me want to please him. God loves you to the end in all things. And supper being ended, the devil having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things. Everybody say he's given all things. He gave all things into the hands of Jesus. That means Jesus has sovereign authority over all the universe. What do I mean when I say sovereign authority? I mean that Jesus can do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, uh, with whom he wants to do it. He's in complete control. Let me see what I figured out. Most people are okay with the sovereignty of God as long as good things are happening to them. Man, as long as you're healthy, wealthy, and wives, you all about God's in control and God's doing this and God's doing that. But what about when you're not healthy? What about when you are struggling physically with health or emotionally uh, with, health? What, what, with your health? what about that? Is God still in control? Is he still sovereign? Has he changed? No, he's not. What, what about when you're not healthy and you're not wealthy? Financially speaking, but I want to tell you something. Finan- finances, your finances are a really weak way for you to gauge your wealth. Do you know that? Don't be wrong, ain't nothing wrong with finances. If you've got a lot of them, praise God, that's a gift He's given you. But I'm saying that's a weak way for you to gauge just how truly wealthy you are. Well, what about when your wealth struggles with your family? Because that's how I gauge my wealth. I'm telling you, I am rich beyond measure. Let me tell you why I got a wife that loves Jesus with all her heart. Because she loves Jesus with all her heart. She knows how to love her husband. I've got three healthy babies that sometimes I'd like to string up by their big toe. But praise God, I love them kids. What a blessing they are to me. I'm wealthy. I've got a roof over my head and food in my belly. Shoes on my feet, clothes on my back. I'm wealthy beyond measure. I got a church that loves me and I love them. God's given me a place to preach and what an opportunity that is and a privilege that is. I'm wealthy. I've got good friends. Brothers and sisters in Christ that make a difference in my life. I'm wealthy. But... What about when even in those areas you struggle? Are you okay with the sovereignty of God then? What about when your kids get stupid? You ever had your kids get stupid? Maybe that only happens in my house. Maybe, maybe that's a trait of, of the Price clan. I, I don't know, but it seems that from time to time... They want to do their own thing, go their own way, even though daddy who loves them and mama who loves them tries their best to teach them right. You okay with the sovereignty of God then? We got to be. When they give you this pink slip at work, are you okay with the sovereignty of God then? Because if we believe God is in control when the good things are happening, we must believe God's in control when the bad stuff's happening. any of you ever know Bob Ross I mean not personally but do you remember the dude he was always on Alabama public TV at about one o'clock in the evening usually and I I used to stay with my grandmother during the summer as mom and dad was working and and Bob Ross um, used to be the guy that painted y'all remember him had the big afro and I can remember Bob Ross being on the, on the television screen painting. And he would start out and tell you what he was going, going to paint. And, and he would start with these little squiggly lines over here and a little squiggly line over there. That's what he'd always say. And I'd think, this dude don't know what he's doing. If he knew what he was doing, he'd cut that hair. But I'm telling you, he'd make a little squiggly line over here a little squiggly line over there. And before long... That picture that he had described before he started began to come into focus. Brother was amazing. I was hooked on it. As a kid of eight, nine, ten years old, man, I would be glued to the TV watching uh, Bob Ross paint them happy little birds. Matter of fact, me and Randy went to Daytona Beach, Florida on vacation. When was it, honey? Probably about 12, 13 years ago now. And we get down there, and guess who's from Daytona Beach, Florida? Bob Ross. Guess where I went? To the Bob Ross Gallery. I love the dude. Now you said, brother, what in the world has that got to do with the sovereignty of God? I'll tell you exactly what it's got to do with it. See, when I was watching Bob Ross, all I could see was a specific period of time when he was in the middle of his artwork. I could only see a little bitty sliver right now. I couldn't see what was coming in the future. I didn't have the whole picture. So it looked like a mess to me. But Bob knew what he was doing. Now, some of you are facing things in your life right now as a believer. It looks like a mess. And you're wondering, what in the world is going on? You ever been there? Why me? Maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe we ought to be asking, why not me? why are we any more special than anybody else to have to face bad stuff in our lives? We're not. We're just sinners saved by grace like anybody. So the question is why, not why me, but why not me? Because I can't understand why God has even blessed me like he has now. I don't deserve that. I can't understand why I'm not condemned to a devil's hell now. So I've learned to quit asking why me and start asking why not me. But I'm trying to tell you, let God finish with His masterpiece. Trust Him in the meantime. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows where He's taking you. He knows the picture He's painting. And so we can trust that God is fulfilling His plan and the life of His people. Let me give you some scripture for that. In the book of Jeremiah, you all know this one. Probably one of your favorite scriptures. You've got it on your refrigerator at home. You've memorized it. Jeremiah 29 and 11. God told Jeremiah, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper and not harm you. Let me let you in on a little secret, though, about Jeremiah. You know what Jeremiah's called? The weeping prophet. Let me tell you why. Everybody hated him. They hated him. They hated his message because he was called to preach the message of destruction that was coming from the Babylonian Empire. He was put in stocks, the Bible says, chained up at the city gate where people ridiculed him, spit upon him, mocked him, all because he was doing what God wanted to do. But nevertheless, God says, I've got a plan to prosper you, and not to harm you. See, the only way that Jeremiah could really be harmed is if Jeremiah did not fulfill the purpose God had called him to. God took the good things, and God took the bad things that happened to Jeremiah, worked them together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Now, if God can do it for Jeremiah, can He not do it for Israel? Can he not do it for you? Listen to me, folks. God is in control in good times. He's sovereign. He's in control in bad times. Charles Spurgeon says something about the sovereignty of God that absolutely blesses my soul, and I want to give it to you this morning. Listen to what he says. Nothing happens except what God has ordained, so why should we fear? The good things that come into my life come across my father's desk before it comes to me. But folks, even the bad things that come into my life comes across my father's desk before it comes to me. And the God who loves me most knows me best and is working his plan in my life so that he might be honored and glorified. Brother Ben this morning spoke on the trials that we face as believers. You know what that brother said? I liked it. He said that trials come into our life so that we can grow to become more like Christ. That's true. Rick Warren says it like this. God is much more interested in making you holy than making you happy. So if certain things have to come into your life so that you might be made holy, Allow God's plan to take place so that you become more like Jesus. God can do great things with heartbreaking, heart-wrenching things. God can take that which is hopeless and make it heavenly, and God can take my mess and make a message. June the 9th of 2000 was a day I'll never forget in my life. June the 9th of the year 2000, my brother, at 18 years of age, was killed in a car wreck. My best friend. We were on our way that evening to go fishing. We went fishing about every evening during the summertime. And on my way to pick him up, I went past the accident. It was down there at the Fox's Crossing, if you know where that's at on 19 and and I turned before I got down there because I saw all the commotion there was ambulances and wreckers and and uh, fire trucks, there's all kinds of people down there at that intersection. So I turned at the old Fox's Crossing before I got there because I didn't want to get in that mess. And so I, I was headed to town to pick him up with went to go fishing. We was going to meet uh, over at the Methodist Church. And so um, I turned right there like I'd always turned. And uh, I got all the way up to the quick stop there in Weston. And when I got up to about the quick stop, there was a car come rushing up behind me flashing his lights blowing the horn, waving me over. And so I pulled over to the right there into the parking lot of that store. And uh, a good friend of mine gets out of the car and he says, man, I need you to come back down here for just a minute. I said, what for? He said, I don't want to tell you right now. Just come right back down here. I said, all right. So I got back in the car. We took off back down to the intersection. I found out when I got down there, my brother had just been killed. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I can't explain to you the heartbreak that I felt that day standing in that intersection. But let me tell you what's even worse. Then I had to go home and tell my mama and daddy. And when I walked into my house and told mother what went on, told my dad what had happened, my mama, screaming in grief, ran out of my house. I've never seen nothing like that. She just takes off running out the living room, lays down in the yard, and just screams to heaven. And I stood there that day, and I thought, God, what in the world is going on? My father at that time had been pastoring a church for about 15 years. Lord, doing an amazing work at Kemp Chapel Baptist Church. People getting saved. And my mom and dad's not perfect with their godly human beings. And I thought, Lord, why in the world would you let this happen? Three days later, my father preached my brother's funeral. And six people came to know Jesus at the funeral service. I look back now, 20 years later. Two of my first cousins came to know Christ. And it all started... That day, June the 9th, 2000, when God started dealing with their heart. That's their testimony. I look back now, 20 years later, and I'm standing before you at Mount Zion Baptist Church preaching the message that God's put on my heart, and I can promise you, God began a work that day on June the 9th in my heart that made me right with Him. Back then, in that little sliver of time, while I was watching the painting being painted, I could not see how it was ever going to turn out anything good. But I'm thankful to tell you today, my God has the power to hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. And He's able to cause all things to work together for them that love the Lord. And are called according to his purpose. Trust him. Trust him. I told you this morning. That I was going to preach to you about servanthood. And I ain't said a word hardly about servanthood. But I've preached what I know God put on my heart. And I will finish tonight. What I started this morning. And we'll talk about what it means to be a servant of Christ. So come back this evening. At 6 o'clock. Now let me ask you something. Do you know Jesus today? I'm not asking you if you're a member of a church or if you've been baptized. I'm not asking you if you're a good person. I'm just simply asking you this morning, do you know the Lord? Have you been born again? Has he truly made a difference on the inside that is making making a difference on the outside? Has he? If not, today's the day for you to trust in him. If you are here and you are a child of God, let me ask you this. Are you doing what you know God wants you to do at this moment? Are you in the center of God's will? Are you in right fellowship with the Lord? If not, get that taken care of today. Have you decided you're going to join this church? You've prayed about it. You know this is where God wants you. Well, praise the Lord. Listen, we need you. God don't need you, but we do. Let me say that again. God don't need you, but we do. God don't need anybody's, but any of us. But I'm going to tell you, we need you here at Mount Zion. We want you here at Mount Zion. You can be a part of what God is doing here at Mount Zion. If so be it that God has led you to our, our way. You come do what you need to do today, whatever that is. These altars are always open. Everybody stand together. Don't wait this morning. You be submissive to the will of God. Whatever the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart, how He's drawing you, how He's leading you, you do what's necessary today. Don't wait. Don't quench the Spirit. Be submissive to the will of God this morning.